我是邵老峰，电子工程专辑的首席分析师，常驻北京。您现在正在收听的是 E Times on Air。This is your briefing for the week ending December 13th. Qualcomm recently held its annual Snapdragon Tech Summit. Qualcomm Snapdragon processors are key components in smartphones, and of course, smartphones are the focus of many of the most important trends in the electronics industry. We learned a lot while we were at Qualcomm's event. In this week's episode, we'll investigate some of Qualcomm's new products and services, and some of the trends the company is enabling. That includes discussions of the next generation of 5G smartphones, of gaming in general, and gaming on smartphones in particular, and a proposal to enable everyone to keep their official documents, driver's licenses, passports, on their phones. Also, since Qualcomm's products are intrinsic to so many worldwide trends, the company is also intrinsic to worldwide trade. We'll have a conversation about Qualcomm, the electronics industry, and Qualcomm's largely unknown role in the global market. It's all very exciting, but gosh, don't take it from me. This is from the promo video that Qualcomm showed at the Snapdragon Tech Summit. Leading into the keynote address by Qualcomm President Cristiano Amon. The 5G world is here. The experiences you want, the tasks you must accomplish, the things, people, and places you want to connect to, the demands of the modern world—all add up to one fact: you deserve the best. The best means more powerful, enhanced security, unprecedented experiences. Next-gen artificial intelligence, elite gaming, fully immersive real-time extended reality, superior battery life, and blazing fast 5G multi-gigabit connectivity with incredible responsiveness. To thrive in a 5G world, you deserve the best. You deserve Snapdragon. In a 5G world where you can download a full-feature film in less than a minute, don't you love radio voice? So I could have gone to the Snapdragon Tech Summit, which was held in Maui, but I graciously deferred to my colleague Junko Yoshida. I kind of figured she could use a few days in a tropical environment after having been stuck in Paris for so long. While she was there, she bumped into Jim McGregor and Kevin Crewell, our friends from Tirius Research. The three got together toward the end of the Qualcomm event to discuss the biggest announcements the company made there. So, gentlemen, this was a three-day program, and they run us through everything from 5G connectivity to smartphone, mobile platform, application processors, up to they call it XR, but it's a, it's an AR VR mixed reality platform plus uh, always connected PC. There's a lot to unpack. So I'm going to start with you, Kevin. What was the biggest takeaway? Is there anything that surprised you? Well, the, the takeaway is that Qualcomm's in a great position in terms of mobile, and the, most these platforms are all about mobility. So the AR, VR, XR、yeah. is about mobile gaming, standalone gaming. So that's one of the key things. You know, there's PC, there's a PC version, Oculus Rift, and、uh, the HTC Five start off on PCs. Now they're all moving to a standalone headset, which is mobile, and it still has. Either starts with three dots with the Oculus Go, and that started off with a Snapdragon 820 a few years ago. Now we've got the Oculus Quest, 
which has uh, the latest, uh, uh, one of the latest um, Snapdragon parts in it, and it's a fully untethered experience. Untethered. Do you need a 5G phone to connect? No, I, right now it's a wi it's Wi-Fi based. In the future, as yeah. this is what the, their new platform, the XR2 platform, will be. The XR2 platform, which we we just got a hint of today because they just announced it, but they haven't shown the reference design yet, which is coming next year. Uh, but it did off uh, they did uh, announce a, a partnership with Ni uh, Niantic, which is the um, uh, Pokemon Go. Uh, creator. So right. therefore, th this is a situation where we're going to have content and hardware coming together. So content is king. And we've got great hardware now with the XR2, which will also include a 5G option. The next step is getting the great content. One of the fun things uh, Jim and I did today was play Beat Saber, which is the right now the biggest hit in VR. Oh, I played it too. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it, it, it's interactive and it's fun and you can wear it on the on the Quest and yeah. you really get you into it. So that's what we need. We need more content. And this is where we're starting to see. Right. Niantic was, I think, a really great get for them as a partner for the XR2 platform. As you said, there's been so much content over these three days unpacking it all. I mean, we still have, the, I mean, we start off with 5G, uh, which is continuing to roll out and continue to develop. But in addition to that, we had uh, uh, the Always Connected PC. They now introduced lower tiered products, so it's more of an entry level uh, uh, part as well as not just a high end part. And what well, we got so a lot of detail yesterday, they drilled down on their 865 platform and their 765 platform. And the, we, got, we got a lot of details on that. And that's, we, I mean, that's what we, we went through two and a half hours worth of like blistering details yesterday <laughs> of that, all those parts. All right. Let's go over the products we heard about for the last few days. Qualcomm talked about the 865 Snapdragon application processor. They called it the beast. Jim, you said you thought that was an odd name. You know, it is kind of odd to hear a company, you know, that's building a low-power SOC for mobile devices refer to their product as the beast time and time again. But I think what they really mean is it's really a multimedia beast, and that's really what it is. I mean, they really enhanced um, the video and image capture. They can now handle 960 frames per second. They can handle 64 megapixels at 30 frames per second, and they can handle 200 megapixels on image capture. On, so for still image capture. Um, not to mention, they also significantly enhance the AI capabilities of this. And that was really interesting because, you know, I, I kind of joke with all these other, uh, with all the semiconductor OEMs, I'm like, okay, you put a neural network chip on your uh, SOC. Right. So what are you going to do with it? Because you can only handle one workload at a time. Right. And they're like, well, you know, we're using it for battery management or we're using it for image enhancement or we're using it for one application. Uh, Qualcomm's really trying to develop or enhance it, and they use multiple cores, not just the uh, not just their hexagon DSP. They also use the CPU and the GPU, but they're really trying to do it to where you can do multiple workloads simultaneously. Um, now they still, especially if it's running on the hexagon DSP, and I got clarification on this, they still can only handle one workload at a time. But because of the amount of memory they have, they can store multiple AI models. So they can execute one model. So say it's you're doing speech recognition, um, and then they can switch over to image enhancement um, without having to reload that model. So it's already there. They can execute it. So that also helps with the multimedia capability, and they enhance the ISP to do these phenomenal capabilities in terms of image capture. I mean, 
there's not even a digital SLR that can handle the kind of ca- um, capabilities that they're putting into this. It was almost like a you know, press conference by a camera manufacturer, I thought. Well, the Dolby Vision uh, yeah. project is really unique. And Dolby does is a full, full calibration of uh, the camera, the uh, camera sensor, um, and then also the display. And then this, this is the first device that will support recording Dolby Vision uh, in any device. So this is a brand new standard that the Dolby is promoting. Mm-hmm. And it's, it produces phenomenal 8K, high-definition uh, visual quality that's just stunning. It's actually stunning. The key thing with Dolby is they want the experience to be the same across all different devices. So they calibrate each and every device so that your experience is exactly the same. So the, so the color uh, is what the author of the color the, the, really wants to present. Right. So the whole thing is fully calibrated. It's not just like they throw it at at a, at a display and they don't care. They're they're doing a full calibration in their factory, sending the custom uh, color correction uh, values that run on the snap and the snap run on the Snapdragon. And now the, the, the Snapdragon eight sixty five is the first device that can support Dolby Vision. And we're now talking over a billion colors that it can uh, they can support. Yes, the quality level is super high. That's eight sixty five. Yes. Anything else you guys like to add? Well, the only other thing uh, about the 865 platform is that this is pretty much the only platform that is designed, even though the uh, baseband chipset is separate, mm-hmm. uh, between the baseband and the SOC, it's designed to handle 5G worldwide. So even if it's not implemented through the RF section, so like in China, they're not implementing millimeter wave for a couple of years, it's still designed to handle every frequency combination that's available today anywhere in the world. So, I mean, that's a very significant thing. Junko, you talked earlier, that surprised some of the people that they had disaggregated the modem from the SOC and had built it as separate. And it's not unlike what Apple does in their products. They build an, an application processor and, and they, they buy a separate modem and they buy a separate uh, Wi-Fi chip from uh, Broadcom usually. And then they put it all together and they still fit into a small platform. But this also allows them to focus on, in the case of the 865, it's a, as, as they call it, the beast, because it's a multimedia beast. and has They have a, a big GPU and, and, and lots of performance and they have the hexagon. So they didn't have to compromise the, the, the die area to fit a modem in. They could just fully optimize the 865 just for processing and then the modem the x55 is uh you know it's already it's already a well it's an established standard and uh and as, as jim just said it's worldwide standard so it supports millimeter wave if you want it if you put the rf components in um because it handles 200 megahertz of bandwidth is this your speculation that apple iphone next year will use this x55 um, Qualcomm's modem. What do you think? It would th- it would make sense. Uh, right now, uh, that uh, Qualcomm and uh, Apple signed an agreement for supply uh, going forward early this year, and fully anticipate that either the X fifty five or a uh, a follow on would be in an op- Apple iPhone next year in twenty twenty. Also note that even though the modem's still separate, this is not different than what they did with LTE. For the first two generations, right. the modem was separate because they were still scaling it down as yeah. the technology evolved. And 
especially in the first couple generations of a new wireless technology, you've got different countries coming out with different frequency bands and uh, everything else. So it's still helpful to have the modem separate because it's changing rapidly. So it may be on a different design schedule. They didn't say it, but they've kind of hinted to it that if we want to see the integrated modem with the 800 series, we need to come back to Maui next year. <laughs> There's always that next year reference, right? They, they said Hawaii, didn't say Maui, just to be No, clear. they did say Maui. No. <laughs> all right, all right. So one other thing, I think, Kevin, you mentioned something interesting that though when you tweeted about some of the features and things being discussed about 865, you talked about the graphics drivers. Tell me what was the thing that excited gamers well, actually, it's, it's, it's more development in Android. Android is going to start breaking up the, the sort of monolithic view of update, eight to updates into smaller chunks. So you can, just like a PC, you don't operate your whole operating system every year. You, you upgrade drivers. And, and now what's going to happen with Android is they're going to start modularizing this. And what, and, what Qualcomm showed was the fact that they will be able to offer an app that will allow you to download and upgrade just the graphics driver in your Android. I believe it's Android R uh, that's going to make this feature available. And, and that will, that just set off a firestorm of enthusiasm <laughs> within uh, my, my Twitter followers who are, have a lot of gamers in it. Right. And they're like, yes, finally, finally we can upgrade just a graphics driver when a new game comes out. Because in the PC space, when there's a new game comes out, often there's optimizations to the graphics driver specific to that game. So little tweaks to make it perform better. And uh, the AMDs and the NVIDIAs and even Intel do this, on a, uh, and they up, they'll update the drivers to support new games. So now Qualcomm is going to be able to do the same thing when new games come out for Android, and Android is a huge gaming platform. They'll be able to update the graphics drivers to support a brand new game. It's amazing really amazing how much mobile gaming is taking off so it's it really is an important feature i mean we're seeing the next generation of gamers actually come up on their mobile device not on the game consoles or pcs so it's a big change and last not but least that uh, we talked a little bit about security thing and what was the qualcomm's announcement and um, what can we expect from them yeah, that was one of the key surprises we didn't expect. They had Google on stage to talk about, I mean, we already, they've already talked over the past year about how they've enhanced security for their platform. Uh, with the 855, you had a platform that was already as secure as a secure card. Um, they've had a, uh, trusted execution environments and then there where you can actually really secure these platforms along with the ultrasonic sensors and everything else. But with Google up there, they're now partnering with Google to try to take all of your um, legal or identification documents and digitize them and be able to put them on your phone. That's not just your credit card. You're now talking about your driver's license, your social security card, your passport, all these things and be able to use them anywhere. I mean, that, that, is, that is a huge effort. Now, uh, I talked to them a little bit more about it. Um, this is still in the early stages. Um, it's a big push by Google, obviously. Um, it's going to take, they are talking to local and both domestic and international governments about this. And it's going to take years for people to get used to this idea and maybe even uh, make it real. But making an environment where you can have all your documents secure with you anytime, um, that's, that's a huge change. 
Now, right now, they're still focused on two-factor authentic uh, authentication, with only one of them being biometric. I think if they take them to two-factor yes, authentication with two biometrics, such as, yeah, with your not only your fingerprint, but also using facial recognition or retinal scan, which you can do both of those right. with an image sensor, um, that will, I think, get a lot of the government entities over the hump saying, yeah, this is if we can really do it at that level of security, yeah. Um, this makes sense. And this is also kind of timely because starting in 2020, you know, uh, if you're in the U.S., uh, you can't just use a driver's license to get through TSA security at an airport. You actually have to get a more secure ID from the state. And I did that. It's not easy. You have to take in all kinds of documents to show right. where you live and everything else just to get a little star on my driver's license. Yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. But yeah, if I can have all that with my smartphone, not to mention doing all my uh, transactions with my smartphone, um, that really eliminates the the issues you have with your wallet and all these other forms of identification you have to carry with you today. And remember, it has to be secure on the device. You don't. It's not in the cloud. This is a right. secure element within the device that has to store this. Very good. Anything else you guys would like to add to this? You can never go bad having some kind of event in Hawaii. <laughs> All right, that's a plug. Okay. Thank you so much. Qualcomm is having Foundry TSMC build its new Snapdragon 865. The company is being somewhat vague about the launch date. It's expecting to introduce the chip sometime around Mobile World Congress 2020, which means early next year. Li Feng Xiao is senior analyst at Aspen Core China and he's a regular contributor to EE Times China. Not coincidentally at all, Aspen Core is the parent company of EE Times. That was Lu Feng introducing the show today, by the way. Li Feng happened to be also attending the Qualcomm event, which, you might recall, I generously suggested to Junko that she attend instead of me. Uh, did I mention the event was in Maui? Did I mention that she kept sending me pictures of people in casual wear drinking fruity tropical drinks on the lanai at the hotel? Anyway, Li Feng was part of a contingent of more than 60 reporters from China that Qualcomm invited to cover the event. Junko quizzed him on what the Chinese market was looking for out of Qualcomm, how Qualcomm is positioned in China, and how Qualcomm is helping its Chinese partners. You know, we spend almost three days here, and what surprised you most? First of all, I think uh, the Snapdragon 865 is launched because the Snapdragon 869 is not SOC chip, which means the application processor and baseband processor are separate, not integrate. Right, and that was a surprise. Yeah. At least to Chinese engineers yes. or Ch Chinese readers, they are so surprised because the Huawei High Silicon carrying 919, uh, MediaTek MT6889, and uh, Samsung Exynos 980, all SOC chips. Even the Snapdragon 765 5G chip is SOC chip. So whether the SOC solution or the discrete solution, which one is better? Maybe every uh, vendor's manufacturers has its own choice and uh, judgment. Uh, we, can, we can wait and see what happens in the future. 
and uh, the su support both uh, super six gigahertz and uh, millimeter wave in a single chip. Maybe the second highlight for uh, this chip, because uh, as we know. When the millimeter wave frequency band is used uh, for 5G, mm -hmm. uh, there there are many many challenges need to be resolved. Well, the um, the truth is that 5G millimeter wave for 5G in the United States it's very important. But I think what I understand is that in China, millimeter wave may not be used. Well, it's not currently being used, and probably may not be used until 20. 22 or 23, right? Even then, we, we're not sure. The mainstream is the sub-6 gigahertz, correct? Uh, yes, you are correct. The, the third highlight is uh, through the press conference, we find that the, the Qualcomm spent a lot of time to introduce his uh, application processors, uh, uh, the baseband processors, excellent performance. Mm -hmm. Uh, such as a camera, uh, artificial intelligence, yep. games, uh, wireless connection, security. Uh, While well, the traditional CPU's uh, architecture, the benchmarking, the process node, they, they, they don't talk too much. Right, so mm. heavy on applications, but... Uh, Light on technical details. And uh, Chris Amon said, "Yes, yes." Uh, he he said that the Qualcomm's design strategy is never to sacrifice the performance of an application uh, processor and or modem to make uh, SOC. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, in he thought the AP is the best. The, the baseband is the best together. The, the Qualcomm can provide the best uh, 5G solution. Doing separately, they can provide the best of each. Yeah, we, we just mentioned the process known technology. I think the first, the first notable point may be the, uh, the, the process node because uh -huh. uh, Maybe Junker, you have noticed that the uh, 865 uh, adopt seven nanometers. This this technology is as same as the previous generation. <laughs> the Chinese people were actually expecting this to move forward with maybe something like five nanometers. That's what you guys are expecting. Yes, five nanometers or. Uh, Seven, seven seven nanometers plus UV, but no. So I think it's a it's a notable point. But the Qualcomm's response is that uh, they need to 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 find a balance point among all kinds of factors, uh, such as the cost, uh, the performance, the time to market. Uh, and uh, the, the, the volume. Yeah. It, it must be careful to think about how to uh, make a good and uh, right decision. So that's the surprise to the Chinese reporter. But uh, let me ask you this, that, um, uh, you know, how's Qualcomm positioned in China? I'm kind of curious that if I, for, for example, if I am a Chinese smartphone vendor, who do I have? as an alternative 
to Qualcomm as my supplier. I remember it in January 2018. Qualcomm and his Chinese partners, including Lenovo, Oppo, Vivo, Xiaomi, ZTE, and、uh, another Chinese mobile phone vendor, Wentai, they joined announced the 5G Pioneer Initiative. Aiming to strengthen cooperation in the 5G industry and better support the Chinese smartphone industry. Actually, in this summit, Amon stressed that the 5G Pioneer Initiative is not over yet, and Qualcomm will continue to increase support for its partners in China to help customers continue to succeed in the 5G area. Interesting. So all these Chinese companies are tightly collaborating with Qualcomm. Yes,、right. yes.、Uh, as you know, the Chinese five G phone vendors like、uh, Xiaomi, Oppo、uh, have entered the European market. Yeah. And、uh, another Chinese com-、uh, company means One Plus. One Plus. One、okay. Plus. Right. Good point. So Chinese. Won't stay in China, right? So the the aspiration is go outside China. Yes, these vendors are so ambitious, and、uh, Qualcomm promised to use his global resources to help Chinese customers better understand the needs of overseas market. Qualcomm becomes the guide to the Chinese Chinese companies who want to go outside China. Definitely, yeah. Actually, the mobile phone area is only a part of Qualcomm's plan.、Mm. As far as I know, the areas will expand from the mobile phone to other vertical industrial,、uh, such as、uh, automotive, IoT. Smart cities, manufacturing, and so on.、Uh, the the Qualcomm believe that the the the, the number of、uh, Chinese partners will grow in significantly、wow. in so, this so progress. This is, you're still talking about the 5G pilot program. No, besides the 5G play,、yeah. uh, the Qualcomm also ambitions.、Yeah. They want to、uh, they want to grow with Chinese. Uh, partners together, and、uh, not just in China, but globally. Yeah. The, okay, got it.、Yeah. Your 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 second question maybe is、uh, difficult to answer.、Uh-huh. Alternative to Qualcomm. Yeah, I, if I have to to answer, maybe probably the MediaTek or Samsung is、uh-huh. alternative、uh, in the high high end. Another company, another Chinese company.、Yeah. Uh, um, I think it used to be called Spectrum Communications, but now it's called Unisoc, and I think this is for the low-end、uh, smartphone market. Yes,、right. yes. All right, Lu Fan. Thanks. Junko also asked Li Feng about how Chinese handset makers are doing outside of China. Li Feng said the Chinese handset manufacturers are selling in Europe, in India, in Africa, and in Southeast Asia, where the biggest market by far is Indonesia. In Europe, Huawei has shipped 11.6 million units in the third quarter in 2019, bringing its market share back up to 20%. Li Feng said, citing statistics from Canalis Market Research. Growing sales in Central and Eastern Europe are more than making up for losses in Western Europe, where Huawei's market share is falling. 
Xiaomi's shipments in Europe jumped 73% to 5.5 million units. Xiaomi now ranks fourth in market share in Europe. In India, meanwhile, the top smartphone is one that's manufactured by a local company called OnePlus. Sales of its OnePlus 7 series of phones have surpassed Samsung and Apple. The company had a 43% market share as of the second quarter of this year. In Indonesia, Chinese manufacturer Oppo led the market with a 26% market share, followed by Vivo, another Chinese company, and Samsung, according to IDC. Chinese smartphone manufacturers altogether in Indonesia control 74% of the market. In Africa, the market is growing fast, Li Feng told Junko. Quoting IDC data, he said the top three brands on the continent are Tranxian, a Chinese manufacturer not well known in Western countries, followed by Samsung and Huawei. Now, the thing about Chinese smartphone manufacturers is that their margins are slim and their revenues are low. So as of the second quarter in 2018, now that's a year ago, but still, as of the second quarter, Tranxian, Huawei, Vivo, and Xiaomi together represented 18% of global revenue. By way of contrast, Samsung alone represented 17% of global revenue. By way of further contrast, Apple's global revenue was four times that of the four Chinese manufacturers combined. Now, during a roundtable at the Snapdragon Summit, Qualcomm President Cristiano Amon said of China's smartphone vendors, Quote, they're already dominating in Southeast Asia, and they're growing and tracking China's Belt and Road Initiative. What is the Belt and Road Initiative? Chinese President Xi Jinping initiated it in 2013. It's China's ambitious program to support infrastructure projects all along the original Silk Road, a trade path which connected Asia to the Middle East, Europe, and Africa to the benefit of one empire after another over the course of centuries. What Li Feng told Junko is that Qualcomm is not only playing a key role in China's domestic market, but is also actively assisting Chinese OEMs penetrate global markets. And as we do here nearly every week, it's time to celebrate some anniversaries of great moments in technological history. On December 10th in 1947, Frederick Calland Williams, Freddy to his friends, filed a patent for an apparatus for storing a train of impulses. What this thing did was take a beam from a cathode ray tube to create ephemeral charge patterns on an insulating surface. It sounds esoteric, but in retrospect, Williams had created, in essence, the first dynamic random access memory. Again, he filed in 1947. The patent wasn't granted until 1960. The Williams tube, also known as the Williams-Kilburn tube, was actually used in several early computers as DRAM, including the IBM 701 and UNIVAC 1103. December 11, 1972, was the last time anybody landed on the moon. Apollo 17 astronauts Gene Cernan and Jack Schmidt took three moonwalks over the course of the next three days. The two also experienced the first celestial traffic accident. Oh, you won't believe it. You did it again. Oh, there goes a fender. Oh, shoot. As the astronauts were driving around, a hammer they were carrying got caught in the lunar rover's fender, tearing it clean off. 
This was an enormous problem because the lunar rover's wheels kicked up a constant spray of moon dust, and moon dust is profoundly abrasive and it sticks to everything. The solution was to use duct tape to tape four moon maps together and use that to replace the missing fender. It worked just good enough. Duct tape. Don't leave Earth without it. That's your weekly briefing for the week ending December 13th. This podcast is produced by Aspen Core Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. The transcript of this podcast can be found on eetimes.com, complete with links to the articles we refer to, along with photos and video. You can find a new episode every Friday on our website or via your favorite app for podcasts. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.